the end of the year, when they had the little awards night at the school he was in, uh, he got the balcony award. Never heard it. I don't know if they still have it or not. But it was given to the one student in, I think it was AIM is what they called it, the one student that best exemplified helping others by encouraging them and lifting them up. And we were really, really proud of him. You you see, sometimes, whether you're a kid or older, sometimes hope comes early. And it it just happens, I mean, right off the bat. And then sometimes hope comes late after some disappointments and some struggles. In the, in the Easter story that we're familiar with, churches really celebrate the, the very beginning of the news of the resurrection. We, we talk about uh, how that the, the women went to the tomb early in the morning at daybreak, right at the beginning of the day, and then they, they see the tomb is empty, and they encounter the angel, and then they go and tell the other disciples, and, and Peter and John, like they described in the video, they ran, and John gets there first, but he doesn't go in, and then Peter comes up, and Peter's the first to go into the tomb, and we, we celebrate, we focus on, we look at what happened at the beginning of, of the day on that first Easter Sunday. Sometimes churches even have, have sunrise services so that we can celebrate the resurrection and the glory of God uh, right at the beginning. But today, as, as a little different thing, we want to look not at those who first recognized the empty tomb and the risen Lord, but those who much later in the day did. Luke tells us about this. Luke, Luke 24, welcome you to turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to. We're going to be reading there. If, if, you, if not, you're welcome. We'll have the, the verses up on the, on the board back here on the screen as we, as we read through it. But the first 12 verses, Luke spends talking about the things that, that we typically think of as, as the resurrection, what, we just, what I just mentioned. But then he gets to verse 13. When he gets to verse 13, he says, Now that same day, it's still Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. This is really a curious story that Luke provides for us here. These these two people of that little tiny group of believers that were committed followers of Jesus. We're not just talking about the the big crowds a week before that had said, Hosanna, as Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. No, 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 no. We're not talking about the fair weather followers. These are committed followers of Jesus. We're going to find out in a moment that one of them is named Cleopas or or Clopas. In the Gospel of John, we're told that that one of the ladies, one of the women at the cross when Jesus was crucified was Mary, the wife of Clopas or Cleopas. (laughs) N.T. Wright is a a renowned New Testament scholar. uh, And he has written in a commentary on Luke that, that it's very likely that these two people that Luke talks about here 
were Cleopas and Mary, husband and wife. And they were going back from Jerusalem to their home. And as they're walking, they're talking with each other. They're trying to come to grips with what's happened and what it means. Actually, the language that Luke uses here could could be translated, they were disputing with each other. Maybe there was some tension in the air. I mean, we know Mary was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. From what John tells us, we don't have any record of Cleopas being there. Maybe that was contributing to the tension. We don't know. But they're trying to figure out what's happened. They're they're hearing all these reports and trying to sort it out and understand. And while they're doing that, a stranger comes up to them. Luke has this intriguing phrase, they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we read this and we know exactly who it is. Luke tells us right away, it's Jesus. We got it, but they don't know this. They, they don't have that information. They're still in the dark on that. It's just some guy, some stranger that comes up as far as they know. And for some time, we don't know exactly how long, for some time, they walk along together. I don't know if they're just so absorbed in their, in their conversation that they don't notice them or they, I don't know if they talk, I don't, I don't know, but he may just walk along beside them in silence for a while. But then finally, he speaks up. Verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And wow, that was the right question because it apparently stuns them so much that it just stops them dead in their tracks because they've been walking along. They've got a, they've got a seven-mile journey to go on. And then he asked this question, and Luke says, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, <laughs> get this question, are you the only one in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? That's not a very nice question to ask. Not a very nice way to put it, is it? I mean, you've been living under a rock or something, dude? Are you just completely clueless to what's going on around you? Well, I, I guess at that point, Jesus could have said, well, no, I, I'm kind of aware of it. In fact, I was there. I was on the cross. I was in the tomb. I am Jesus, but, but he doesn't. He just very graciously says, what things? Tell me. What are you talking about? And so they tell him. Look at verse 19. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They're telling them their story. Everybody has a story. You got a story. I've got a story. This is their story, and they're telling it to him. We had hoped, they said, at the heart of the story of those poignant words. We'd been hoping he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And if you've lived long enough, 
you understand how significant those words are in your story. We've been hoping to have a family, some kids, see them grow up, experience the joys and the challenges. But then the doctor said, We'd been hoping, we had these great plans, these wonderful dreams of what, what we were going to do. And, and then I lost my job. And I felt like such a failure. I, I'd been hoping, and, and then I kind of got into this habit. Gradually at first, it wasn't any big deal, but, but it just kind of grew and grew and And now I can't seem to shake it. We'd been hoping we could work it out. We could put our marriage back together. But then he told me he doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't really want to work on it anymore. We'd been hoping. But we never dreamed a child of ours would start down a road that they went down. We'd been hoping. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, that he was going to take our story as a people and make it work out okay. You see, they had had a story for a long time, this, this nation of Israel. And we need to know something about their story because it, it really does relate to our story. They, they, their story was they were part of the special people that God had called, that God had pulled out of slavery in Egypt by mighty acts of power and, and miracles and incredible things. And they were just amazed at this and they were so excited as they, as they left and they knew that God had great things in store for them, that they were going to happen But then it just never seemed to work out very well. I mean, there were little brief glimpses of of some occasional successes, but mostly it was just one oppressor after another that came along and subjected them. I mean, there were the Assyrians, and then there were the Babylonians, and then there were the the Persians, and there were the, the, the Egyptians, and then there were the Greeks, and now the Romans were dominating them. All they, could, all they could think about was waiting. Those visions of glory just never really, never really materialized. There's very little glory in Israel, mostly just suffering. It was a story in search of a turning point, of somebody to shift it to a different trajectory. And then Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along. This guy who who said things that nobody had ever said before, who did things that nobody had ever done before, and they're thinking, all right, finally, this is our day. This is what we've been hoping for. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the one who is going to turn it around. This is the one who is going to deliver us and take care of things, and we are going to have a great day now. 
And they were so excited that finally their story was going to be realized. That promise that God had given them so long ago was going to become reality. And then Jesus' story suddenly goes south. And everything crashes and burns. And instead of him being the great deliverer, he's crucified like a common criminal on a cross. Now, it's hard for us to understand how dejected they were at that because we see it from our standpoint in history. We look back and we know what's going to happen. We get it. But they couldn't see that because they were right there in the middle of it. And all they could see is their last great hope had just been totally eliminated. Because you see, he wasn't just dead. He was crucified. Crucifixion is what Rome did to people to prove that they were not a deliverer. They were not the Messiah. They were not going to win. And that's what had happened. So from everything they can tell, it's all over. And then they start hearing this strange stuff, these, these, these reports of, of an empty tomb and an, an angel being there. And, and is Jesus raised from the dead? And they don't know what to do with that. They don't know how, how to put that all together. And so they just say, well, we can't figure it out. We're going home. And they start heading back to Emmaus, to their home. And they tell Jesus their story. And then this stranger says to them, verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. Now, why would he, react? Why would he respond that way? I mean, is he busting their chops? Is he slamming them? I don't think so. Most of us, at one time or another, have been in a place where we thought we understood what was going on around us. We thought we had our story down. And then, suddenly, out of nowhere, comes an experience that in a moment of incredible clarity, lets us understand we didn't really know our story at all. We didn't have our story down, even though we thought we did. I read about this week, read about the, another couple, married, husband and wife, been married 60 years, and they were, they were so in love. They were, they were so devoted to each other, just the sweetest older couple you can possibly imagine. <clears throat> and they had always had a wonderful life. They, they shared everything together. They kept no secrets from each other. Except when they got married, she had a, a shoebox that she put up in the top of her closet. And she, she asked her husband never to ask her what was in it, never to talk about it, never to open it. And he... Didn't know what that was about, but he's, okay. At first, the first few years of marriage, it bugged him a little bit. Wonder what that's all about. But eventually, he just kind of forgot about it. It was just the shoebox up there. 
And finally, after 60 years of marriage, she became very ill. And the doctor said she wasn't going to recover. And so the husband was thinking about what he needed to do, all of the various things, and he remembered the shoebox up in the top of the closet. He got it down, and he took it to his wife's bedside. And he said, honey, don't you want to tell me what this is about? And she agreed it was time to do that. He opened the box, and there inside were two crocheted dolls, small little crocheted dolls, and over $40,000 in cash. And he said, honey, what is this, dear? I I, I don't understand. And so she said, "I'll, I'll tell you. She said, just before we were married, I went and talked to my grandmother, and she told me the secret of a happy marriage was never to argue. And any time I felt like arguing with you, I got mad at you or something, I should just keep quiet and crochet a doll. And so I did. And that's why those dolls are in there. And the husband was deeply moved at that. 60 years of marriage and only two little hiccups, only two little times that that went wrong. He said, honey, that explains the dolls, but what about the money? She said, oh, Well, every time I I crocheted a doll, I sold it at a craft fair for $5 and put the money in the box. (laughs) You see, that's, that's that's how we are. We think we know our story, but we don't know our story. And sometimes it just crashes in on us what our story really is. That's the human condition. What happens when you find out you had your story wrong? Everybody has a story. Every story is looking for a turning point. And this stranger is trying to help them understand, you don't really know your story. Let me explain what your story really is. In verse 25, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And he told them the real story. You see, the story the Bible tells is a story of suffering. Suffering as old as our world, as old as sin, as painful as death. Not just suffering. It's a story of joy also. But it isn't joy in the absence of suffering. It's joy that grows out of suffering. It's joy that exists in the middle of suffering. Because you see, the world has gone all wrong. We all know that. We have different names for it. The Bible says that the heart of the problem is this thing called sin. So God chose this one people, this little tiny nation of Israel. He chose them 
to help people see who God really is. And he had prophets come and and paint a picture of what God really intended our lives to be like, what God created us to know without all of the suffering and all of the difficulty and all of the stuff that sin had brought into the world and messed it up. And Israel kept waiting for this time when they would be great because they thought like every other nation thought back in those days that if you were really having a lot of success, if you were powerful, if you were wealthy, if you were the nation, that meant your God was the greatest God. And so they thought their God was the greatest God and they kept waiting for their time in the sun, for their glory days to show that they had a God who was the true God. And when Jesus came along, they were waiting for the Messiah who would deliver them from their oppressors, who would take them to their greatness, and they would be the powerful ones, and they would be the oppressors, and they would be the wealthy ones, and they would be the people that they had been oppressed by all of that time. And this stranger says, now... Think about this for a minute. Think about this Messiah you are hoping for. What if the depth of his suffering, instead of proving he wasn't the Messiah, actually confirmed that he was the Messiah? What if the crucifixion was not Rome's defeat of the Messiah, but was the Messiah's defeat of sin and death and all of the things that are really the problem that we have. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory, Jesus asks. And when he asks them this, when he reframes their story and he paints for them a different story, their inside just starts turning flips. I mean, they just get so excited. They're just going crazy inside, and they can hardly stand it. And then they keep walking on this road to Emmaus, to their home. And when they get there, they invite the stranger to come and stay with them. Verse 29, stay with us, they say, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Wouldn't you love to have been there for that? It's interesting that it happened when he broke the bread. I don't know exactly how it happened. Maybe when he handed them the bread, they saw the scars in his hands. Or maybe as he broke it and gave it to them, they looked into his eyes for the very first time. I don't know. I just know that it was in the breaking of the bread. It was in their receiving that food that they recognized him because their eyes were open. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back in the book of Genesis. And there was another couple, another man and wife that received food from someone. And when they ate it, the Bible says, and their eyes were opened. And it was a horrible opening. It was an opening into sin and death and rebellion against God and separation from God and all of the struggles and the agony of this world. 
But here Jesus hands them food, and as they receive it, the Bible says the exact same words, and their eyes were opened. Only this time it's not to evil and sin and alienation from God. This time their eyes are opened to the one who will deliver them from all of that. Then they saw. He disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they saw the whole story. They saw what was really going on. In Jesus, God not only suffers, God also triumphs. In Jesus, God triumphs over sin and over death and over guilt and over shame and over all of the things that keep us oppressed. God triumphs over every defeat, over every failure, over every sin, over everything you can imagine in your life that would bring you into the suffering. Whatever darkness you're facing, Whatever regret you may be carrying around, defeat does not get the last word. Sin does not get the last word because the same Jesus who was crucified by Rome did not stay crucified. But instead, the most powerful force in all of the universe, the power of God himself to raise Jesus from the dead, came down into that tomb and raised him up. And when he raised Jesus up, every hope of every heart of every human being was raised back to life. And I know we're Church of Christ and all, and we don't get excited about anything, but folks, that's good news. They got excited. Look at verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Anybody remember how far away Jerusalem was? Seven miles. Now think about this. They were there the night Jesus was arrested and put on trial. They didn't sleep a wink, I guarantee you. They were biting their nails wondering what was going to happen to their Lord. And then the next day he's, on, he's not on trial. He's on the hill on a cross. And they weren't sleeping. They weren't resting then. And then he's put in the tomb. And then two days later, they get all these stories about him being raised. And then they have a seven-mile hike back to Emmaus. And they don't longer, they they no more than get there. And they say, we're going to go back seven miles. That's a half marathon, people. They're going back seven miles to Jerusalem. They can't wait. They gotta tell somebody because of what they know. They have a story they have to tell. So we'll leave them in Jerusalem to tell their story because I wanna talk about your story. I don't know how your story's going right now. I know if you live long enough you'll have some major disappointments. I know if you live long enough, you'll suffer in ways that you didn't see coming. And it'll confuse you. And it'll make you wonder, where is God? And what is this story I'm in now? I 
I've been hoping, but I've been hurt. I get so anxious. I feel so defeated. I caved in again. And I feel so alone. You know, everybody has to choose the story that they're going to live by. Now, the world will give you a story. The world, most of the people in the world are going to say, go for the success story. It's the same story that Israel wanted to go for, guys. We just dress it up real fancy today. Go for the power. Go for the prestige. Go for the possessions. Go for the, all of the stuff that the world says is where it's at. The problem is that is if you go for that and that's your, even if you are phenomenally successful beyond your wildest imaginations, eventually you're going to die. I, I checked. The human mortality rate is hovering right at 100%, folks. And when you die, they will put your attractive, powerful, wealthy, successful corpse in the same grave they're going to do anybody else. And what do you do then? For 2,000 years, Jesus has been taking the unlikeliest of people's stories and weaving them into his story and giving them a new story. Will Phillips is a doctor in San Antonio. One of his all-time favorite patients was a lady named Edith Banks. I'm sorry, Edith Burns. Edith was a, a different kind of a person. She was a ray of sunshine when she came into the room. She was just always happy, always giving off good vibes, always loving people. One of the things that she did, kind of a quirky thing, but she would meet somebody for the first time. She'd say, hello, I'm Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? Some people just kind of, and some people really were curious and led to spiritual conversations. Dr. Phillips one day had the sad task of telling Edith that she had terminal cancer. He was trying to find a gentle way to break the news, and he was surprised when he told her of her response because she very calmly, very quietly, just started talking about how she was going to go home and be with Jesus. And she could celebrate Easter every day of the year, right there with Jesus. Within a month, she had to be hospitalized. And when she was hospitalized, she's, she was still Edith. She would meet people, the nurses, the, the aides, whoever it was that came in, she'd say, hi, I'm Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And people loved Edith, except for the head nurse in the day shift on Edith's floor in the hospital. Her name was Phyllis Cross, and Phyllis didn't care for Edith's approach. In fact, she thought, she said, she thought Edith was a religious nut job. And she made it very clear to Edith that she did not want Edith praying for her in any way. Thank you very much. Secretly, Although she wouldn't admit it, Phyllis longed to know the secret to Edith's joy and peace. 
One day she came into Edith's room. Nobody was there. And she said, Edith, tell me. Tell me what you have that I don't. And Edith shared with Phyllis a story of a God who loved her so much. He was willing to suffer and to die so that he and Phyllis could be reunited, be reconciled again. It wasn't long after that. It was actually on a Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, it was an Easter Sunday morning. The Phyllis came in to start her 7 o'clock shift. And she went into Edith's room and found her eyes closed. And her lifeless body had the big Bible that she always read laying in her lap open. And her hand was laying where her fingers were right underneath one particular passage of Scripture in John 14. Where Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you and take you to be with me also. Phyllis turned and walked out of the door of her room into the hallway, walked down a few steps down the hallway to where two student nurses, brand new student nurses had just come on the floor. And she said, hello, my name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? See, she was on a road to Emmaus. She didn't know it, but she was. And a stranger came alongside her and said, I'll give you a different story if you want. I'll give you a better ending to your story. And her eyes were opened, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't know what your story is. I know if you live it long enough, it'll take some turns you don't want. But you're not here by accident. You're made and loved by a God who cares about you more than you can imagine. And our stories all get messed up. They all get fouled up because our world is fouled up, mostly because of sin. And we can never fix that ourselves. So one day this stranger walked among us and he said things nobody else had ever said and he did things nobody else had ever done before or since. And he went to a cross so that we could be reunited with the God who loves us more than anything in the universe. But because he was Jesus, because he was the son of God, he just couldn't stay dead. And on the third day he was raised again. And even still today, every once in a while, a stranger comes alongside someone and says, let me tell you another story. And your story can be part of that story if you want. I don't know where things are in your story right now. You may be just so thrilled with where things are in your story. You, you just... You just... All you want to do is just thank God and praise God and love God for the wonderful story that you have right now. And that's phenomenal. But maybe your story has taken some turns that you never thought it would take. Maybe your heart is bearing some burdens 
that you never dreamed you would have to bear. Maybe you're having to walk down a road that you didn't know, you didn't expect, and you don't know how to go down that road. Now a stranger comes to walk alongside you and tell you another story of forgiveness, of grace, of hope, of courage, and invite you to be a part of that story. Where you walk by faith and live in love and die in grace and are united with God forever. You want that to be part of your story, it can be. We're going to pray in just a minute. One of our shepherds is going to lead us in prayer. And during that prayer or before or after, I want to ask you if you would, if you want, we have some of our elders back in the back in this room back here. And they would love to pray with you. They'd love to visit with you. There's some prayer rooms in the, in the foyer you can go to. Whatever we can do to help you Find your story. We want to do that. If today's the day you want to be buried with Christ and raised with him to a brand new life, this is a great day to do that. And we, we would love to help. Let's pray together. Oh, God, thank you for hope. Whether it comes early or late, we give you thanks and praise and honor and glory for the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth who overcame death and sin and invites us to know the joy that he wants to give. And we pray in his name, amen.